Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening, come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. All right. Well, guess what book of the Bible we're in today? We're in Romans today. Yes, we are. I'm excited to be in Romans because we are uh, about a week away from being halfway through Romans, which is pretty cool. So uh, as we do each week, I want to make sure that we are uh, focusing on the, the approach that I think is a very helpful approach, which is listening, listening, listening. Um, and staring and talking and then using. So uh, a, a different approach than we perhaps have taken in the past. Uh, today we are getting close to finishing up this major section about righteous freedom. So we've talked about righteousness introduced, righteous wrath, saving righteousness, and then chapters 5 through 8, this massive section on righteous freedom. So we will start with Romans chapter 5 and read through uh, 8 verse 30 which is a lot of text, and I'm excited about that today. So, you got your Bibles? You ready? Let's read. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him, saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even though those who was sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, 
As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of the teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Now I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to his righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband's alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, 
and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might be become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Well, thanks be to God through Lord the, Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. This, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give to your mortal bodies life through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation that was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is not seen, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for that which we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what mind is the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There we go. Everybody take a intellectual breath for just a second. I'm going to get some water because that's a lot of words. Jay saw the glory of God so brightly he had to put his shades on. There you go. I hope you're starting to, after uh, we are in the Michael Jordan week of this series, week 23, uh, I hope you are starting to, at this point, uh, value and at least, at least if not value, begin to get used to longer readings of the Bible. So that it is something that, okay, all right, we can do this. This is all right. We can, we can manage through. So let's take a look at some of the uh, questions that we ask each week. Are there any literary or structural observations? Um, as I read chapters 5, 6, 7, and most of 8, you probably heard uh, Paul makes a, an example and he makes a point. Or he makes it a point and he gives an example, or two, or three. And he does this in today's text as well. So it uh, gives us... Look at these prior passages, and he gives us two examples of the points that he's making in this text. So let's look at what the words mean. If you've got your hand out there, we will uh, start looking at that space. So we start with verse 18 today. For I consider, that's this Greek word, legizomai. This is the take inventory or estimate or count. I consider, I'm counting, that these sufferings of this present time. And we've talked before about Paul's sufferings. He was not a... Uh, a lightly suffering person. He was very heavy affliction. Um, this is uh, all kinds of pain and emotional uh, hardship wrapped up in this word. For I'm counting these sufferings of this present time, where, where he is right there, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. So in the future, we are going to have glory revealed to us. So the stuff that I'm going through right now cannot even compare to what the glory that will be in the future, which is fantastic. Right, Miss Sherry? Isn't that awesome? So there is literally nothing that we go through right now that when we get there and are glorified, that we will be able to look back and say, there's, there's just no comparison there. Like, I, I can't make a comparison. They are so fundamentally different. Right? So somebody tell me your favorite number. I'm a mathematician. I have a favorite number. What's your favorite number? Four. Got a f- four. Okay, great. So what does four smell like? Roses. I wasn't expecting an answer, so thanks for that. Um, I, I expected, like, four doesn't have a smell, right? I didn't think four had a smell. I'm, that's kind of... I did, didn't I? Yeah, and asked Dave, so there's, there's that too. Thanks for that, Dave. I appreciate that. Um, we have trouble describing things that are so significantly outside of the category that we have put them in, 
right? Like numbers don't smell and colors don't count. We, like that didn't make any sense. And, and I have a feeling when we get to the, the glory end of this whole thing and we look back, that will be in such a substantially different bucket that we will just look and go, I, I can't, there's, there's just nothing to compare here, which is fantastic for us. This is really, really good for us. So verse 19, for the creation. This is the original formation. This is uh, one of Paul's world, uh, words for the world. This is everything that God made. For creation waits. And you go, well, hang on. So the, the earth is a person now? Well, we're, we're starting to get a little anthropomorphism here. Where, God, where, where Paul gives uh, non-alive things human characteristics so that we can relate with them a little better. So creation waits with eager longing. Some of your translations may say earnest expectation or intense anticipation for the revealing. So this is the uncovering, the disclosing, the enlightening of who? Who are the sons of God? Yes, it's us. That's exactly right. Our world is waiting for us to be revealed as the sons of God. Because what was the world created to house? The sons of God, right? And that was the original intent. It desires to get back to its original intent, which I think is fantastic. This is great uh, writing here that Paul uses. So verse 20, For the creation was subjected, or it was, uh, this is the hupotasso, this is subordinated, uh, to futility. So, uh, did I put the other words there, or do you just have a blank after the word futility? You just have a blank. All right. So, your word for your blank is vanity, is the emptiness. There's no substance here. There's just nothing to it, right? So, the creation was subjected to futility. Some of the other words here are inutility, transientness, which I did not even know was a word, so that's my new word for the week, transientness, and moral depravity. So if you think about uh, how much the earth was wrecked because of sin, it was subjected to moral depravity. It could no longer do for the sons of God what it was designed to do because it is broken. It is vanity, right? So the world itself is broken. So the next time you look outside and you say, oh, it's a pretty sunset, that's broken. Like, like that's wrecked. I don't know what they're going to look like when he makes a new heaven and a new earth, but it's going to be better than that mess, right? And you won't need an Instagram filter. So, all right. So, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because, that word dia, but through him who subjected it. I wonder who that is. In hope that the creation itself will be set free. Now, we talked about this word last week uh, when I talked about dinner delivered. That's your blank. Uh, Delivered, and what does what does somebody who delivers something to you do? They they bring you something that you do not have, right? So, so that the creation itself will be set free; it will be delivered from its bondage. Now, you have not heard me say this very many times about the ESV. This is a really lousy translation right here. It is not set free; it is made free. There is a difference. There is a difference between unlocking the door and you are set free. You get to walk outside and I'm going to pick you up or it may just drag you outside. I'm going to make you free. This is making free. Uh, there's a the verse in one of the gospels. It says the, the truth shall 
sets you free. That is a lousy translation. The truth will make you free. You will, in fact, be free. This is not an opening of the door and good luck finding your way out. No, we're, we're going to drag you outside and you are now in freedom space. So that the creation itself will be made free from its bondage to corruption. So it is, it is enslaved to corruption. Yes? Revelation says that it's, it's God cursed as a curse on him. Yes. But in Revelation, he takes that curse away. That's exactly right. And then brings life. That's right. Which is what he does, right? Is it not a picture of what he does with us? There's the curse of sin. He takes the curse of sin away. He brings us life. This, this is all telling the same big story of redemption, right? We, we like to say, oh, we could subdivide this little piece. No, 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 no. It's all one big story of redemption. It's beautiful, right? So that the creation itself will be made free from its bondage to corruption. This is the, the ruin. And obtain the freedom or liberty of the glory of the children of God. There was an initial design that we're going to get back to. For we know, so I can, I can look and understand, that the whole creation has been groaning together. Here's your blank. Moan jointly. So we're going to practice this for just a second. <clears throat> On the count of three, I want everybody to moan. We're going to moan jointly. You ready? One, two, three. Uh, now, that was a really weak, lousy moan. Okay? So we're going to try it again. This is a sustained moan. So we're going to get like four or five seconds out of this next moan. You ready? One, two, three. Uh, right now, how do you emotionally feel? You're like, oh, wow. This is... It's, it's hard to be happy. I mean, it's kind of funny that we all moan together as adults, right? I mean, that was kind of weird. You didn't expect to do that in Sunday school today. But there's this, there's this like, blah. You ever woken up in the morning and you go, oh, man, what's the problem? Creation is moaning jointly together. We live in a broken world. Yes, sir. Oh, that's an exciting place for a sunrise service. I really want to throw a challenge flag at that, but I completely believe you. That's just craziness. It is, uh, I, 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 it's in my mind when you were doing that moan thing. That's wild. That's wild. So do I put it past God to actually do what his word says? No. That sounds about right. <laughs> right? Creation is moaning together. In what? In the pangs of... You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where did we get childbirth here? This is... I did not see, like, how did we get that there? Well, this is giving birth to the sons of God as they should be. So there's a whole familial um, vocabulary as you go through here. Actually, I would, I would argue that chapters 5 through 8 have a substantial amount of family language in them. That the Spirit makes us alive to be able to be that family as we should. 
Um, and then there's the setup to that big section in 5 to 8 in the sections before when it talks about Abraham and the offspring and all those types of things. I, I have wanted to, for a while now, step back. I think I'll do it when we finish with Romans. Step back and do a lesson on how God tells the story of his family all through Romans. I, I think there is a thread there. But we've only studied half the book, so he may stop it at this point. So we'll see. All right. That's your Sunday school teacher rabbit trail for the day. I'll try not to chase anymore. So verse 23, and not only the creation, but who? We ourselves. Who have the first fruits? So we, right now we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait inwardly, eagerly, for adoption as sons. Now, this may throw you for a little bit because Sean did a great job last week talking about adoption. And God has, past tense, adopted us. And this verse says, we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. So which is it? Has he adopted us or is he going to adopt us? Yes. Yes is a great Bible answer. It is. Because when you look at two passages of Scripture and you go, this seems to teach A and this seems to teach B, guess what? A and B are correct. This is all right. Now, how does this fully work? I don't know that I understand how it fully works, but he has adopted us, and there is a full manifestation and demonstration of that adoption that is yet to come. Right? Yes, Mitch? I was just thinking of this as this is when he brings us home. Yeah. Yeah. The redemption of what? What's the next phrase? The redemption of redemption of the body, yeah. Is is your body completely redeemed right now? No. <laughs> no. That's why we moan in the morning, right? I mean, get up and you're like, oh, yes. Well, I'm, I'm beginning to learn some of this. So. Jen, it's a lot like when somebody adopts a child. It's a legal document. It's written down. It's recorded. And you become that child. But you don't receive everything right. that you're going to be getting yeah. as a result of becoming a child of that family. Goes on, you receive more. It's kind of like being in somebody's will. Yeah. You're in the will, but That's right. money doesn't hit your hand. Yeah, so. and he's, he's already talked about heirs, right? And we're, we're heirs to that inheritance. Um, I was, the picture of you last week was just fantastic. Uh, but when you were adopted into that family, that day they didn't bring you that dress, did they? Like, we, we've been waiting. Here you go. We're, does it fit? Does it fit? No, 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 no. The, this, redeem, this display of this redemption is coming later. So, again, it, I think there's an undercurrent all throughout Scripture of tomorrow is better for the believer. Like, tomorrow is better for the believer. It never gets better for the pagan, but tomorrow is better for the believer. So, in this moaning, as we moan, groan inwardly, as we wait for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies, verse 24, for in the hope we were saved. In this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. Does this make sense? Right? So I hope that you can hand me that. Hand me your Bible. Hand me your Bible. I hope that you can hand me your Bible. Not a lot of hope right here, right? I mean, this is, this is pretty basic. However, I hope that Julie can get me some ice water. 
and I'm going to be sitting here for a while. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <clears throat> She's like, now? <laughs> like, it's okay. It's okay. I'm 0 for 2 on illustrations from the audience today, so that's all right. <clears throat> I love y'all so much. <laughs> so for, to hope that is seen is not hope. If you could see it, you don't have to hope on it because it's already there. For, for who hopes for what he sees? I mean, that didn't make any sense. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait. Again, this is that looking forward. This is the same word used in Romans 8, 19, and 23. We wait for it with patience. We wait for it through patience. You don't get to what you want without patience. That dia is that, that diameter word. It goes through the center. The hope, the actual realization of what we hope for comes through patience. And we like to shortcut and skip things as much as possible. I have... So this PowerPoint right now is running off of my Mac back there, and I have shortcuts on my desktop that let me circumvent more clicks than I would have otherwise because I don't want it to take one second longer than it should. But this hope only comes through patience. So there's patience. So verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps. Now, I believe this is the longest Greek word in all of Romans. It is seven syllables long. Here we go. Sinentilem ambanomai. I'm not speaking, well, I am speaking in tongues, but here's the translation. Ready? To take hold of, opposite, together. To take hold of, opposite, together. All right. So I read this to Julie last night, and I walked her through what this actually looks like. So, Jay, can you help me with this? Awesome. So I'm going to focus on different portions of this verse as we go through it, okay? So I want you to focus on the word opposite right now. So I want you to stand opposite of me. I want you to get opposite of me. Okay? Now I want you to be opposite together. Opposite together. So together. That's way too hard. If you're... To get together. Yes. So together. There we go. All right. So are we opposite together? Yes. Okay. Now, what's the other part? Take hold of. Oh, no, no, no. Take hold of. <laughs> now, do you see how this works? This is very interesting because that's good. Thanks. <clears throat> I knew he would do this well, because he's, he's a military guy. He's going to do it as best, best he can. Um, who does that word right there? No, 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 no. Who does, in the text, in the, the Spirit does that word. Why does the Spirit do that word? Because I'm dead. I need somebody to hold. I need somebody to help. I can't do this on my own. On my own, I am completely a dead man. So the Spirit comes stands opposite, together with us, and takes hold of. That is beautiful, isn't it? There's like three concepts I want you to get today, and this is one of them. Come and just... Now, you're a pretty stout guy, right? If you wanted to pick me up and take me to the other side of the room, I'm going to the other side of the room, right? Yeah. <laughs> Do you see his... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly the way that works. So, to take hold of, opposite, together, in our what? In our weakness... Because I'm broken, and I'm weak, and I can't do this. In our weakness, for we do not know what to pray, to supplicate. This is just a regular word for pray. For as we ought to. 
or what, what is necessary. But the Spirit Himself intercedes. Now, here's your blank. To intercede, what do you think goes in the blank? It is not on. It is in. This is not the Spirit praying for us as praying for us to get something. This is the Spirit praying instead of us. Because I can't even articulate the words. Have you, I'm, I'm assuming you've been there at some point in your life, right? Where you have been heartbroken, where you have been... I, you hear somebody with a prayer request and you go, I don't even know how to pray for that. Like, I, I really do not understand how to pray for that. And here's what you do. Groan. Literally, just groan. And look what the Spirit does. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We groan, He groans. But guess who understands His groans? The Father does. This is beautiful. And He who searches or investigates hearts knows what is the mind of who? Of me? No, no. What is the mind of the Spirit? And if you ever have anybody tell you the Holy Spirit's not a person, the Holy Spirit's a force. Forces don't have minds, folks. People have minds. The Holy Spirit is a person. So let's make sure we're clear on this. Good theology here. So the Father knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes or prays in behalf of the saints according to the will of God. Do we always know what God's will is? No, absolutely not. But the Spirit does. And the Spirit makes up the gap between our groanings and His groanings. And the Father hears the groanings of the Spirit, and that aligns with God's will. And we now can have access to the Father. It's absolutely beautiful. It's, it's almost as if um, God creates a scenario where we are helpless and then redeems us, and then recognizes even in our redemption, we still really can't communicate as we should. So here's something to bridge the gap between your lack of communication and understanding of God's will and God's will. (laughs) I love it. I absolutely love it. It's just gorgeous. So verse 28, And we know, and we know, I understand, that for those who love, for those who agape God... All things. Guess what that word means in the Greek? All. That's your blank, yes. All. Each, every individual one, the whole, every one, thoroughly work together. They're fellow workers. They cooperate. There's your blank. Cooperate for a good or a benefit. So, for those who love God, All things work together for the benefit. For those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, this word purpose is a very curious word. This word purpose means a lot of different things in English. But one of the things that it means is a throwback to an Old Testament concept. Uh, Do you guys remember... Some of you were thinking I wasn't going to get to this, right? All right. I have flour. I have salt. And I have water. What can you make with flour, salt, and water? 
you can make bread. Yes, you can. Caleb put a banana on top of this, and he said, that's banana bread. And I said, that's just silly. (laughs) This loaf came out of the oven this morning. That's what I'm talking about. Now, in the Old Testament, there was a concept in the temple of showbread. And this bread, it did not look like this bread, but the showbread was to be placed before the Lord always. It was always to be there. Which implies if you're going to have bread that is always available, how often are you making this bread? Every day, yeah. You're going to make this bread a lot. Like a lot of this bread. And the, the guys who took care of the temple actually had processes on how much bread they would make and where they would put it and how long it would stay. And it was to be present before the Lord always. So let's look at this verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his showbread. You're like, not seen it yet. Okay. For those who are called according to his showbread. Where was the showbread? Before the Lord. Before the Lord. That's right. God is working all things together as we are presenting ourselves before Him. We are continually in His eyes, just like the showbread of the temple was. And it is beautiful. Now, can I enjoy this right now as it is? What do I need? I do need a little butter, yes. I need a knife. Anybody want some bread? Come on up. What do you have to do to bread before you can enjoy it? Butter. <laughs> what am I having to do to this bread before we can enjoy it? Cut it. Yeah. Is this painless for the bread? I'm going to say that this is, this is rather painful for the bread. Just grab it. I've got some cut there. I'm going to say this is rather painful for the bread. I'm pretty good at it. Yeah, it's still warm, guys. Got it? Dave? All right. Some of y'all are just now figuring out that I'm serious about this. What's that? They are pretty good. See, bread has to be cut to be enjoyed. Bread has to be broken. There we go. Got it? Cool. Does this make sense? Some of you are like, yeah, that was pretty cool. Can I make bread? I can make bread, yes. Do you eat any, Miss Darla? No. Oh. It's okay. You don't like bread? Oh, yeah, I do. Okay. She said it has to have butter. Oh, it does need to have butter. I agree. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's just the right amount of warmth right now, too. So there's that. This messed with my head all week. But we're always before him. 
He has his eye on us as he is working all things together for good. I think there's a great comfort in that. I think that's very beautiful. So verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, this is to ordain before, he also predestined. He he limited in advance. He bounded out to be conformed, to be looked just like the image or the resemblance or the icon. The Greek word is actually icon uh, of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. When God starts he finishes God doesn't start baking and then stop halfway through and throw it out and say nope 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 I don't like Jay Jay's out no more Jay it's not the way it works he starts on you he's going to finish it which is beautiful it's absolutely beautiful so let's jump to the uh Applications and personalizations, I'll let you go look at the uh, notes for any of the other details there. So what's the point? Number one, the future cannot be compared to the present. So look to the Father for a better home. There's a better home coming. Number two, freedom and help will come for the believer. So look to the Spirit for a better prayer. A better prayer. Because I can't pray as I should. And the Spirit can. And there will be groaning for now. So look to the Son for a better image. Because the image that I have right now, here in this place, in the earth that is groaning, will result in suffering, will result in hurt, will result in pain. But there is coming a day where there will be butter for all bread. <laughs> As it should be. All right, so next week is God's Everlasting Love, Romans 8, 31 through 39. Uh, I'm excited about uh, Dave Barber coming and, and teaching that lesson. And uh, you got your weekly updates on your tables. Uh, so pray as a group, and then you are dismissed. And on your way out are, is the sign-up sheet for the World Changers as well. So if you can help out with any of that, that would be fantastic. I'm going to leave this loaf up here. And if you would like some, feel free to come and cut and enjoy. So thanks for coming today, guys.